Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Knocking down the position tiers here on Wednesday night, January 22nd. Adam Azer and Scott White, we covered first base and second base yesterday, tonight, shortstop and third base. I'm not going to publish this until Thursday morning, so I'll stop saying tonight because you're all probably hearing this at a different time of the day. But it is fantasy <laughs> baseball today after dark, so it's going to be fun. And, uh, well, yeah, we got shortstop, we got third base, and prospects and emails at fantasybaseball.cbsi.com and a possible solution to the Wild Wild West discussion that we had yesterday. Good evening, Scott White. Good evening, sir. Oh. How are you this fine evening? Doing well. You know, that uh, might not actually be interpreted as evening, as we already right, discussed. Right. Doing well. As of right now, I feel good because I had a very unsatisfying dinner at about 5.30 p.m., mm. but then at about 8.30 p.m., I said, bleep this. I'm going to get a couple of slices of pizza. Second dinner. Second dinner. And Second dinner. It was good. I like it. <laughs> it was good. As, as somebody who is up late working at night often, um, yeah. I I I'm I can I can go with the second dinner. I'm all about that life. I don't want to be like that. I mean, it's going to catch up to me eventually, but tonight it had to happen. I'm uh I think I'm heavier since I started doing this. Yes. <laughs> okay, well maybe <laughs> I we think should I stop. Have gained some weight. <laughs> we should stop. All right. So, give me one sentence. Oh, uh, you know what? I'll loosen the restrictions. Give me one to three sentences to describe shortstop this year. Ooh. Uh <laughs> star-studded uh, that's just a word that's not a sentence it this, is star-studded this, this requires too much internal editing for me to do on the spot like this adam it's star-studded it is it is as as loaded at the top as any other position and it continues to become increasingly so which is you know it's it's been happening long enough that it's it's kind of quaint to think of shortstop as this weak position anymore because it clearly isn't in fact it's probably the second strongest but obviously you and I have been doing this long enough that that's not how we always think of it yeah it is uh, pretty incredible Lindor Bregman Story Trey Turner Tatis Bogarts all those guys could be off the board in the first 24 picks depending on your draft all right give me a give me the same assignment for third base even better than shortstop. That is the number one deepest position. Deepest, but is it as star-studded? Not quite, though it's not far off, but it is deeper from top to bottom. There really isn't a weak weak point in the third base rankings. It, it absolutely floored me when I was first putting together my top 20s at the position that I couldn't get Justin Turner in it, who... Had another great year. I mean, not his best year, but he he, I, he had another great year, a year where he was a must-start player, and yet I couldn't get him in my top 20, which, you know. Yeah. I, I think we were thinking of him as top 10 last year. If he stays healthy, he will be, probably. I mean, he's really good, but he's always hurt. He also got off to a very slow start, right, Turner, and then had a big second half, as I recall. Still sort he, of uh, yeah, I mean, catching up in my he research. He finished strong, yes. You know, when I was looking at this tonight, and, and Chris Bryant really stands out. What? Who is Chris Bryant? What is Chris Bryant? I mean, look at these numbers. 282, 31 homers, only 77 RBIs. And he's just always been bad with RBIs. Bats either, you know, he bats second a lot. That doesn't help, but, but it's just bad. But um, 108 runs, good, you know, 74 walks is a lot. 145 strikeouts, which is a lot of the position, but not, you know, astronomical. Number 11 third baseman. 
he would be the number seven second baseman. It's just not like thirty home runs is just it's whatever. I think he I yeah, think he has like doesn't. the thirteenth most home runs at the position. Thirty one. Now crazy. are you looking strictly at Roto when you say he was eleventh at third base last year? No, I have year? him in both points and Roto at eleven. Eleven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially especially in Roto, just because there are so few ways to measure a player. Just because a guy happens to hit have hit thirty home runs doesn't really mean much in this environment because there are players you can get in the late rounds who um well, I'm thinking somebody like Lourdes Gurriel. He hit 32 home runs last year, right? Obviously, I'm getting away from third base by bringing him up. But, oh, no, he didn't. He well, hit 20 home runs. Yuli Gurriel, Yuli Gurriel hit 31 home runs. Yeah, I, I know. I just I just defeated the point I was trying to make. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't know that you can just... See, I, I think we sort of have said that. Not you, but Chris has said it a lot, and I hate—I don't like disagreeing with people when they're not on the show, where it's like, well, power's not that important because you can just get it later. I don't know that I agree that you're going to get a useful player that's anything more than just power later. But you know what I mean? Like, it's like you get—it's like you get a steel specialist later, but he's awful everywhere else. Um, you might have a home run hitter like uh, Hunter Renfro or something like that who doesn't really do anything else. Uh, but there's just now I'm sure he hit 30 home runs last year and is available right very late. In fact, he might go undrafted in some shallower leagues. Right, but but the just throughout the first 100, one maybe 120 picks, I'm guessing there are just so many hitters that hit 30 home runs. You know, the year before in the middle rounds, you're going to be able to find plenty of guys who did that. And it makes and you it's wonder. not just uh, the point I was trying to get to with Lourdes Gurriel. He only played 84 games, so he didn't hit 30 home runs. But it was a 30 homer pace, and you can find players with that kind of power upside very late in drafts. Uh, you know, I would, Lord, Lourdes Gurriel is kind of in the 175 range, I think. So maybe I shouldn't call him very late, but yeah, it's it's not something that is really enough to differentiate a player in the environment we're forced to to uh, to reckon to, to to deal with right now. So um, I get what you're saying. I'm at 35 right now. I'm trying to count the amount of players who hit 30 home runs. I'll pick it up from where I left off in a minute. New rules for your emails. Fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. All right, look, getting a lot of them. Appreciate it. Love it. Going to do a mailbag show on Friday. I like the interesting questions. I like the stuff that, you know, is about anything that's not a keeper question, basically. But if you want to ask your keeper question, that's fine. Please don't give us seven to pick. Narrow it down. You know, make it this. If you have a keeper question, the shorter, the better. That's my advice to you. So please try to help us out with that. In the meantime, here's our email of the day. It is from Mario from the city. Okay. It's 59 players, by the way, who hit. 30, I'm sorry, 58, who hit 30-plus home runs last year. Holy cow. There's an easier way to do it than what I was doing, so thank you for doing that. Yeah, no problem. Go to like a website that counts them other than rather than yeah. doing it yourself. <laughs> I will add that among those 58, uh, was, people who weren't in the 58 were Javier Baez, Mookie Betts, a first-rounder, Reese Hoskins, Marcelo Zuna, um... Jordan Alvarez didn't get to 30 because he wasn't up long enough. Aaron Judge didn't get to 30 because of the time he missed. Anthony Rizzo didn't get to 30. So like a lot of guys who populate the early rounds aren't even among the 58 who hit 30 home runs last year. Wow. Wow. And, uh, you know, you consider 252 players get drafted in the standard head-to-head league, 276, excluding benches in the standard Roto League. If you have... Roughly 60, 30 homer guys, plus a bunch of other high-end hitters who didn't quite get there for one reason or another. Um, and then you factor in the number of pitchers that are going to comprise all of those picks. Then, yeah, there's there's going to be plenty power, plenty of power available late in drafts, which is why when you target hitters early on, I think it goes overboard, but steals is one clear differentiator and also... Batting average, average is yep. a big differentiator, which isn't to say you should like get non-power guys. You like you want to keep pace in the power categories, but you don't need to overdo it for power in the early rounds 
because there's plenty available late. Right, but I don't think I would. I don't think I would ever make my first two picks something like Trey Turner and another hitter, Scott, who would go in that range that wouldn't really hit for a lot of power. Um, is is there anyone like that? I mean, Tatis has power, so I I don't think I would. Um, I don't think I would make my two best hitters. Guys who aren't going to hit thirty home runs. So that I think you might be falling behind in home runs, RBIs, runs, too much. Be dangerous. Yeah, I'm. I'm not totally sure how I want to approach that yet. I've Same. gone on the record a few times, including just a couple minutes ago, saying that people have kind of this stolen base derangement syndrome, where they are so paranoid about getting left out in a scarce category that they're kind of not treating it like it's a it's a category where you would expect to not need many to compete in it, you know? But if that approach then leads you down the path that I took in the mock draft we did earlier today, where I didn't really end up with a single viable stolen base threat, then that's a problem too. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have a lot I could say about today's draft, but I'm sure we're going to get to that later. Yeah, podcast. we'll have to talk. We did a roto draft down that road. We did a roto draft today, and yeah, I mean, it's steals are annoying. I it, it, fantasy, I would, I'd be so much less stressed out about fantasy baseball if steals were not a category. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess I'm saying like I would not take. This is a bad example because they're both shortstops, but I wouldn't take Francisco Lindor and Trey Turner as my first two picks. But I don't really think that you're going to find two hitters other than those two in the first two rounds that aren't going to hit 30 homers unless Mookie Betts doesn't do it again. But I think he probably will. But hasn't, yeah, Lindor's hit 30 homers in back-to-back Oh, yeah, seasons. he has. You're right. He's, yeah. Yeah, he is. So I'm sorry. So, I mean, Whit Merrifield would probably be a guy right. if you're going Trey Turner end of round one, early round two, and then Whit, Mer- Whit Merrifield in round three. Right. Well, yeah, or or even like Jose Altuve, because I know he hit the home runs last year, but you don't know if he's going to be a thirty homer guy. He wasn't. He was when his best. He was like a twenty four homer guy, right? So yeah, yeah. Look, but I'm still I, not I, even sure that's a problem because you're getting a nice head start in steals. Probably don't really need to go that heavily after them at all anymore. And in batting average uh, between Merrifield and, or if you want to say Altuve and Trey Turner. Uh, and, and then there's again, there's a lot of power to be found later. There so is. I don't want you know to keep going in circles know, here, but that's you know, right. Yeah, I'm totally still working my way through that because it's every draft I've done so far, which is only a handful at this point. We're still early in the process, but everyone I've done so far, I go in thinking, okay, I'm going to target starting pitcher harder early than I ever have before. And then in the middle of the draft, I'm like, how can I pass up this great hitter here? Uh, I guess I'll I guess I'll address pitcher next round. And then the next round comes, how can I pass up this great hitter here? I guess I'll address pitcher in the next round, you know? And then suddenly all the pitchers are gone, and there's still hitters I want, but my lineup is is basically full already. And it's like, gee, I still didn't go heavily enough after starting pitchers. And in a ro- and, and specifically in a roto league, you could say the same thing about stolen bases. So while uh, yeah, there there's going to come a point in a standard roto draft where I just have to be like, okay, it feels too early to take this base stealer, but I can't do it. Not give myself a chance in the category, so I will take him here mm-hmm. and just go out of rank to do it. And, you know, because I don't want to rank them all that high and put somebody in a position where they're getting all the base stealers because that just seems wasteful. But there, there is going to come a point where you have to you have to uh, be conscientious about it and 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 maybe reach a little for it. Yeah. All right. Topic for a different show. I think what I'd like to know, though, is of these 30 Homer guys, how many of them give you good batting average, you know, let's say 280 or better. I don't know, whatever we want to make it. And then how many of them are available after round five, something like that. And then you might be able to have a better idea, assuming two of your first five picks at least are going to be pitchers. You know, you can have a better idea of if you can go with two sort of light hitting hitters with your, with two of your first, 
three or four picks or something like that. You have to know, you know, because you, because it's easy to find a guy who hits 260 and hits 30 home runs. Okay. That's, that's a dime a dozen these days, but how many of those 30 plus Homer guys, there were 59 of them. You said 58, 59, 15, 58. How many of them actually won't, won't hurt you in batting average. And maybe, you know, we find out when they go and maybe we can put together a little bit of a strategy. Uh, here's our email of the day. It's from Mario from the city that has the quote, Pliny of the younger end quote release looking at you, Heath. No, no idea what that means. And he says, Hey, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, I know them. I was listening to the Tuesday podcast when the idea of expanding a categories to help expanding categories to help maintain starting pitcher relevancy popped up. We ran into this exact issue four years ago, and we found a solution that we enjoyed. We added a negative category, lowest score wins the category, to hitting and pitching. So it was strikeouts for hitters, fewest strikeouts wins, and home runs allowed for pitchers. Home runs allowed for pitchers tends to favor RP, so to balance it back out, we ended up switching wins to quality starts. Uh, I just wanted to throw out that new idea and hear your opinions on negative categories. Well, how is I doesn't know I don't know how, how is increase how is adding home runs allowed as a category for pitchers increasing the relevancy of starting pitchers? He just said himself that because he because he did switch from wins to quality starts. But yeah, this feels like a net loss. Yeah, for starting pitchers, he created a new problem to solve, and we already weren't happy with that solution before the new problem you created. So, um, yeah, I'm not fail. <laughs> it's. That one's not working for me. <laughs> okay. Bad email of the day. I, I am sorry. Mario, do better. I know it probably makes sense to you, but just not to us. Okay. From uh, from that to our news and notes, the Mets are going to hire Luis Rojas as their manager. He is Felipe Alou's son. You can read all about why he doesn't have the same last name. Uh, Kansas City signed Alex Gordon to a one-year deal. Great. And Jamison Tyone began a throwing program, but we're not expecting him this year or maybe late this year. But that's it. Not a lot of news and notes to get to. So right into the shortstop tiers. Scott White, a lot of talent at the top, as we mentioned. You have a super elite tier of four. You have an elite tier of two. And then you've got a near elite tier that's gigantic. So super elite. How many should go in the first round? Francisco Lindor, Alex Bregman, Trevor Story, and Trey Turner. I think there's a chance all four of them go in the first round, especially in a... Roto League, where there is that emphasis on steals early on, I think uh, I think of these four, Story and Turner are third and fourth for me. But because of that emphasis on steals, we saw Story actually go first of this group in the mock draft we did earlier today. I think it was sixth overall. Uh, and you know, obviously, Story gives I you more it. than just steals. Steals are kind of the the uh, you know, the, his least uh, productive category of the five. Yeah, but 23 he does steals. give you some. Yeah. Back-to-back years. I guess I don't say, I wouldn't say I love it, but I'm cool with it because I remember we did a mock draft several months ago and I thought Story was going too late. I think he went in the second round and I think he's a first rounder in Roto because he backed it up. I mean, in yep. Roto, he was the number 10 hitter in 2019 and the number six hitter in 2018. In points, he was the number 19 hitter in number in 2019, number 10 in 2018. So he batted he had very similar seasons. 294, 35 homers, 85 runs, 111 RBIs, 20, like very similar ste- uh, seasons, about 25 steals. And uh, I guess, is 25 steals a big number for you, Scott, this day and age? It is, but this kind of goes into one of the problems I have with overvaluing a guy just because he does contribute something in that category is I don't I I feel like the fewer steals a guy is delivering and 20 seems like the threshold where it starts to get dicey like how how reliable is he to do that you know like if he's only stealing 20 bases it doesn't seem like that's such an indispensable part of his skill set that he could just stop you know? Yep, yep. And I he, mean, and we saw, we saw 20, Ryan Braun briefly, briefly become a 20-steal guy. We saw Paul Goldschmidt briefly become a 20-steal guy. Mm-hmm. And then 
it, it ended just as quickly as it started. Yeah, so. and he had 27 the year before. So what if he's 19 this year? Are people going to pay that? Are people going to pay a first round price tag for that? You know, I I yeah. still think that if he bats 295, hits 35 home runs, has 200 plus runs and RBIs, then it's fine. You know, but oh yeah, there's I mean, still downside because the, the he's a good enough hitter in a, in a safe enough environment for hitting that. Yeah, if if you make him your first round pick, Trevor Story, that's not going to be the reason you lose your league. But I I don't I don't want to bank too heavily on the steals for him and, and for a lot of these players uh, going in the early rounds. Here, you have some hope that he can contribute in the steals category, but you shouldn't depend on it. Yeah, you're going to have to have some redundancies if if this is your steal strategy because you don't really know where they're going to come from. Can we talk about Bregman? He's pretty interesting. In a points sure. league, you know, you could make the case for him as the number one overall player. I don't think it would be a very strong case, but it would go something like this. He was the number one overall hitter in points leagues <laughs> last year. But, yeah, he doesn't have quite the track record. Uh, in Roto, I guess, do you think he's a 40-homer guy? Because I feel like if he does basically everything he did this year... And he hits 35 home runs instead of 41 home runs. And with that, the runs and the RBIs would come down a little bit. Because you do see sometimes guys have... He scored 122 runs and he had 112, and 112 RBIs. Like, that could come down. So, we're not talking about, like, a 330 hitter here. We're not talking about a guy who gets you steals. He only had five last year. I... He feels like Nolan Arenado with shortstop eligibility. But but only one season of Nolan Arenado, you know? And I know he's in his prime now. He's going to be 26 years old in March. I guess what I'm saying is I'm a little worried that Alex Bregman is more of a second-round player in a roto league. In a points league, his play discipline is so damn good, so I'm not worried about it. But I mean, you say you get... it's only been one year, but... Uh, of 40 home we runs, of Nolan Arenado. We were first round at this time a year ago, too. I mean, 41 home runs versus the 31 and he hit in 2018. That's, that's no small difference, but he's so bankable in every other category except stolen bases. And, uh, the walks don't count for anything directly in Roto, obviously, but it, it does increase his run scoring potential. He had 122 runs scored this past year, 105 in 2018. It's just very, very safe. Unless you want to make the argument he was wearing a buzzer on his shoulder. No, no. I I think he's very <laughs> safe. But if you have a first-round pick and you can choose between a guy like Bregman and a guy that could steal 20 more bases than Bregman, like a Lindor or a Trevor Story, if, if Bregman does what he did in 2018, I think he's going to disappoint as a first-round pick, in my opinion. Um in a roto league only, and and in a roto league that has a batting average, not OBP, because he is great at OBP. He's like elite there, and his plate discipline, which matters so much in point league points leagues, is among the best in baseball. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, he hits for a really good average too. Look, I'm not. I have Lindor over him in a roto oh, league, okay. and I have Story just after him in the same tier. So it's not. I don't. I'm not disagreeing in a huge way here. It's just what what you prefer from an early round pick, I think. And I see a lot less downside in Bregman than certainly in Story. Um, which isn't to say I think Story has a lot of downside, but he has more than Bregman. Okay, cool. And, Let's uh, maybe oh, Lindor too. Let's go to the next tier then, Scott. And <clears throat> we have uh, we have excuse me, we have oh Fernando Tatis and Xander Bogarts. So they're second round guys to you. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. I guess they. Um, w- well, in the case of Bogarts, he doesn't have the upside of that first group before. He's not far off, but he's not quite there. He's kind of like Trevor's story without the potential for steals. And then in Tatis's case, he has the upside of that group of four, but he has a lot more downside. I mean, he struck out a ton last year. His BABIP was off the charts. It looks like there's going to be some batting average regression coming and he had a hard time staying healthy. So that's, there are some risks there for Tatis that drop him to a lower tier. Bogarts, I think 
in a points league, you know, he was the third, he was the number three shortstop in both formats, but in a points league, he is a doubles machine. He had 45 doubles in 136 games in 2018. He had 52 doubles last year. And his plate discipline really improved late in the 2018 season and then into the 2018 postseason and then all throughout 2019. So doubles, plate discipline, that means points league. So I'm not saying he's bad in Roto. He's safer in points. He's better in points leagues, but he's very good in both. Okay, if you miss out on those guys, that's six players, Lindor, Bregman, Story, Turner, Tatis, Bogarts. Now let's get into the next, the near elite tier, which is going to have a very big range, Scott, of ADP. I mean, Glaber Torres could go in the third round. I don't know, maybe the fourth round. Carlos Correa, Bo Bichette, Jonathan VR, Marcus Simeon, Javier Baez, Manny Machado. Uh, that's a big group of near elite, and there's going to be a big price difference between Glaber Torres and, say, Marcus Simeon. So, yes, there is. So let's and talk about this. That should tell you which I'm much more likely to draft, mm-hmm. which would be Simeon, which is kind of the point of the whole process, right? Is yes. to to um, make sure you're not paying for something that's not going to make a substantive difference, uh, given the amount you're paying for him, like. I'm not saying I'm not saying Simeon you can look at him in every way and say okay this guy's as good as safe as as um Glaber Torres but the most likely outcome I think for those two players is similar and it's possible Simeon has the better year he did this past year. So what's up with Javier Baez? Um we call him a bust on draft day. And I think he was, but only because the steals went away. He actually he actually hit pretty well, batted 281 with 29 homers, but he only had 11 steals and 18 attempts. But yeah, and this is a guy that was going in the, what, the second, maybe third round last year. And now he's, is he in your top? He's probably in your top 12, but closer to 12 than, he's probably around 12, yeah. right, for you? Yeah, that, that. That's uh, that's true. He, I mean, the biggest drop off was in the steals, but he kind of, he kind of took a little bit of a step back across the board, which was my concern with him. I, I think, I think that bust label. I mean, there's a few different ways you could interpret bust. Obviously, was it a complete bottoming out? No, but I didn't expect it to be. It was more a case of, um, him failing to live up to expectations. And, okay, he could have fallen even more than he did, but we did see everything drop just enough that at a crowded position with a ton of studs, I don't think he's that much of a standout. And um, I think his most likely scenario is that again, which isn't to say he's not a perfectly fine starter. I just don't see why he's not somebody, I just don't see why he is why you would consider him somebody you need to pay up for, especially since you can't bank on steals and may not get much of a contribution at all in that category. Yeah, right now, Starling Marte, or he's going two picks after Starling Marte, sorry. Javier Baez. Javier Baez is going 36th overall on Fantasy Pros, and he went 45th overall in the draft that we did today to Frank Stamfel. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's a... Significant discount of that's a significant difference of one round basically uh, in ADP, but obviously within the margin of error it could change. Depending and and on the I draft. have him lower than that. I'm I'm not by tearing him with this other group. I'm acknowledging I'm not going to have much Javier Baez this year, and I'm I'm okay with it. I think he's a little overrated. I think he's such a headline worthy, you know, highlight real player that. People just want to like Javier Baez. There's a lot to like about him. He's a better real-life player than I think fantasy player because the defense is so good. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't change the fact that you need specific statistical contributions from him. And in this environment, he's not... I mean, he's clearly a great player, but he's not that big of a standout at a position where there's 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 so many others who could do similar things. Glaber Torres, by the way, did go in the third round, so in the draft that we did today. So, and, and let's see just where Marcus Simeon went, who was an MVP candidate last year, as Scott mentioned. He went to Scott with the second pick of round eight. So big tier there. 
And yeah, we'll have plenty of time to talk about these guys. I'm more nervous about players that just shocked us last year. But I don't think that eighth round in a in a roto league like this, deep league, a lot of hitters and middle infield spot for Simeon is bad at all, even though I'm nervous about him. But the one guy I did want to get in this draft, and I was curious to see where he'd go. I was curious to see how people would feel about him. Adalberto Mondesi, who's in your next best things category, and he, along with Tim Anderson, both of them would be in a tier lower in points leagues. I don't think I want anything to do with Mondesi in points leagues. His plate discipline is horrendous. But man, does he run. And with Trey Turner, the last two years being more of like a 45 steal guy, like Mondesi, when he's healthy, he's he's what Trey Turner used to be. Like if Mondesi plays mm. Well, he's, he's in terms of stolen base. Yes, 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 yes. That's all I meant. That's all I meant. Yes. If Mondesi stays healthy, he could he could win the stolen base title by like thirty bags. Uh, so I kind of wanted him in this draft, and I did not get him. But Adalberto Mondesi, I'll tell you where he went in a second. Uh, he went uh, at the end of uh, close to round five, so like fifty seventh overall. Yeah, and I get it. That might be. Uh, a situation where I just have to hold my nose and take him to shore up steals, even though I don't think he's that caliber of player. I'd look at the players surrounding him at that stage of the draft and I'm like, Oh, I want those guys so much more, but yeah, he's, he could single handedly carry you in that category. That is, is one that you're going to have to, uh, overpay for. So that might be one way to do it. I was very enthusiastic about Mondesi last yeah. year, as you know, and he really let me down as a hitter. He regressed in a number of ways in that phase of the game, and I re- just really have very little expectations mm. for him whatsoever. Scorn lover. In but any of the he, other categories. He started out great his first two months, man. He had an 8-12 OPS. He, had, uh, he was on pace for 58 steals, 38 doubles, 21 triples, 18 homers, a 288 batting average. He looked like... He looked like a first-round player, and then he just was awful after that as a hitter. But he still ran. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know what. I, I guess I have to look into that. Was there something to that? Did he get hurt? Is that the reason? I know he did get hurt, but was that the reason why he struggled at the plate, or was he just off to an unsustainable start and we saw his true colors as a hitter? But it's it's easy to forget, Scott. Like you were, you loved him, and you looked brilliant because Mondesi was basically the most valuable, one of the most valuable players in fantasy in a roto league. For the first two months. Uh, okay, moving on here. Tim Anderson is also in this tier. And we're going a little long here on shortstop. So we'll, we'll try to wrap it up so we can get to third base. How do you feel about him? Uh, out of nowhere, he had this great batting average. 335 last year. 18 homers, 17 steals, and 123 games. He was terrific. Yeah, and he tweaked the swing in a way that helped him with secondary stuff. And it's hard to know exactly how to account for that with everything else. I do think he became a legitimately better player last year, but he's gone. He's going to be on my bust list because I do think for whatever improvements he made, the batting average is unsustainable. The data shows it's unsustainable. He's not going to hit, have that high above 300 batting average again, maybe a pretty good source of batting average, but then you factor in like the stolen bases are always, just a an just a scary proposition with that. Like he he has stretches where he looks like, oh, he's taking advantage of his speed. Look, he might be a 40 steel guy all of a sudden. And then he has, you know, a six week stretch where he doesn't run at all. And he ends up with 17 to 25 stolen bases. And it's like <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. Like the main reason you're drafting him that high is for the steals. Okay, here's another steel source who won't hurt you in other categories. But if he doesn't give you those steals, then he becomes Pretty fringy, I think, especially if you're anticipating a fall in batting average. Okay, and then if you don't get those guys, who do you like to fall back on at shortstop? Who who are in the following tiers that you like to focus on? Well, uh, I mean, at this point, we're, what, 18 deep at the position, something like that? So... You've been negligent if you don't have it filled yet. Six, 16, oh, no, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I was skipping the, the fallback options tier includes Jorge Polanco, yeah. Corey Seager. That's about 18 deep. I'm that fine is. with them. I'm fine with them as starters. I think Corey Seager 
Uh, first year back from Tommy John surgery, he it was a little bit disappointing given his track record, but the underlying numbers, I I feel like I feel like he's still a good line drive hitter with good plate discipline, and that's going to lead to big things still. He's going to bounce back from this pretty well. Jorge um Polanco. Jorge Polanco, I'm a little concerned about him sustaining quite the the level he performed at in twenty twenty, but yeah, he's a really good line drive hitter too with good plate discipline. Not as much upside as Seeger, but definitely enough to be a starting caliber player. And I like surprise, surprise. I like Didi Gregorius, uh, you know, as like a dollar player in a roto league. You don't draft him in a one shortstop league or anything like that. But if you need a middle infielder or if you just load it up everywhere else, I don't see a reason why Didi Gregorius cannot be what he was with the Yankees before this awful season, which after which came after he was recovering from Tommy John surgery. So he was really bad in 2019, but he was pretty predictable and pretty good before that. And a, and a guy you can plug in, especially if he's one of your last picks, he can represent for you at shortstop if he gets back to form. He's still in a good ballpark. He'll be in a good lineup with the Phillies. So I'm cool with him. Um, all right, that's shortstop. So let's go to third base. So we've got... In our super elite, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman, and Anthony Rendon. And then in the elite, we have Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers. That's your top five. Arenado, Bregman, Rendon, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers are a tier just behind those top three. Yeah, and I struggle with that a little bit. I could see combining those to have one uh, five tier, of a a studly tier that's five deep, basically. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but trying to reconcile the tiers across positions, I thought this was a more logical way to do it. I think the downside for Jose Ramirez and Rafael Devers is more obvious than it is for Bregman, Arenado, and uh, Rendon. And like that seems like the truest of tiers there at the top, those three, Arenado, Bregman, Rendon, because I've struggled to rank those three um, gone back and forth a few times and how I want to do that. And, and, and it varies, it varies between the two formats too. I have Arenado number one in Roto. I have Arenado number three in points. So that seems like a, just like a textbook tier considering I can't really decide between those three. I think that a lot of people might take Jose Ramirez over Rendon in a five by five, you know, categories yeah. league. That might happen, yeah. It shouldn't happen in a points league, you know. Definitely not. Because Rendon is so good in that format. Right. But not I, that it's a bad format for Ramirez, but it, Rendon's value changes more between the two than Ramirez's yeah, does. Right, exactly. Jose Ramirez, what a strange season. Pre-All-Star break, he slugged 652. Uh, no, no, sorry. His OPS. Pre-All-Star break, his OPS was 652. Post All Star break, his slugging percentage was 739. His slugging percentage was almost 100 points higher than his OPS before the break. So he stole bases. He only played, what did he play? 129 games or something like that. Missed some time, um, but he stole 24 bases, which was nice. And then he really started hitting late in the year and then got hurt. So. What a strange, strange season that was for him. Uh, it was a strange full calendar right, year right. nearly for Jose Ramirez where he struggled to hit 220. You know, it began August of 2018. And I, I, that's about as long of a slump. You know, the, 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 peaks in, the peaks surrounding that valley, the discrepancy there was about as large as I can ever remember for a slump of that length. And uh, it ended just as abruptly as it began. And I feel like the good version seems like the truer version of Ramirez. That's the one I want to trust in. But it's hard to understand just how he could fall off that much for that long. Best I can tell, and uh, I know Dan Richards at Pitcher List has done a lot of research on this and basically every time I talk about Jose Ramirez on the podcast he brings it up to me on Twitter so looking forward to hearing from him again but it seems like Jose Ramirez got very home run conscious during yes. the slump that you know what I I think I 
almost positive, Scott, that I read Francisco Lindor actually say that. Someone on yeah. the Indians said, you know, he needs to, in a nicer way, he needs to stop trying to hit home runs all the time. He's trying to do too much, basically. The home mm-hmm. runs kind of got in his head. Yeah, that seems to be what happened. And, you know, it was a surprise that he became a home run hitter at all. So that kind of makes sense. Uh, but obviously, he seems to be back on track now, and that's a very good thing. Yeah. All right. So you got those five players, Arenado, Bregman, Rendon, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers. They're in your top two tiers. How much separation is there between those guys and the next tier, which is the near elite, which is Chris Bryant, Eugenio Suarez, who led all third basemen in home runs last year. I believe he had 49. DJ LeMahieu, Max Muncie, Manny Machado, Jeff McNeil, and Vladimir Guerrero. In terms of upside, there's not much separation. But in terms of most likely outcome, I mean, there's it, there's definitely a step back there. There's a bigger step back than I think between those first two tiers. Chris Bryant's been tough to figure out for a couple years now, but I don't think anybody should realistically expect elite production from him anymore. Near elite, sure. That's why he's in the near elite tier. Mm-hmm. But it's been a while since we've seen him be that MVP caliber bat. Um. And then there, there are some guys here. It's it's kind of there's there are kind of players with a few different issues going on in this group. I mean, yeah, Mayhew and Muncie, they're elevated because of their second base eligibility. Machado, I mean, we know what his upside is, but do I? I don't know that we do anymore. Real well because he doesn't play in Baltimore anymore. Yeah, I mean, we're making the same point. We're just using different words okay. for it. Like we know what we know what the upside is. It's first round caliber. He's been that several times in the past, but am I that confident in him reaching it anymore mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. uh outside of Baltimore given his history there versus everywhere else? No, I'm not. And and in fact, his most likely outcome might actually be a tier lower than this. Um, yeah, I don't think I'm going to draft him. Oh, well, we'll yeah. see where he falls. Let me see where he went, where Machado went in uh, this recent draft. Because uh, I heard Heath comparing, yeah, round seven. Round seven for Machado, one spot ahead of Carlos Correa, but three spots after Mike Moustakas. So, all right. Now that, I think I just like the Correa pick a lot in that group. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would take Machado over both. Uh, you know what? I wouldn't take him over Correa. I would yeah. I would rank those three personally, Correa, Machado, and then Moustakas, yeah, even knowing Moustakas has the second base eligibility. But How, I, Let me just say, though, in this round, like James Paxton was the next pick, uh, Trevor Bauer, Corey Kluber. I, I, I feel like you might, you might want to take those pitchers over those hitters. It obviously depends on your team through that point. Um, I'm trying to make a bigger point, I guess, about hitters. And I'll I'll get to it after you finish. But what I'm going to say is basically that, Scott, I don't think there's a huge drop-off from this tier of near elites to the next best things right after. But go ahead. Uh, I would... I, I think the most interesting from this group is Vladimir Guerrero, who I have at the very end of the tier. I think... Most people are going to have him near the beginning of the tier. And considering how big of a tier this is, how deep of a position this is, uh, I understand that Vladimir Guerrero probably has top-tier top upside. But when you factor in the downside, which is you know, not top 12 at the position, that, you know, that he wasn't deserving of that based on what he did last year. And there, there are some issues there in terms of um, the the launch angle basically how many ground balls he hits how many line drives he doesn't hit there are some issues there that he's going to have to figure out that the actual hard hit rate although he had some of the very hardest hit balls in all the majors the overall hard hit rate was pretty pedestrian for Vladimir Guerrero very young I think he's going to be a star still but will it happen this year Given what you're passing up for him, I don't think it's worth the gamble. So I I go ahead and tear him in here, but I don't know that that's his most likely outcome. I'm just I'm doing it in part because I'm confident I won't be the one who ends up with him because of some of the other third basemen I have in this tier. He'll be polarizing, no question, Vladimir Guerrero. And I'm more likely to gamble on somebody like that because I I want a, a league winner because. Like Brian and Suarez, Suarez hit 49 home runs, 
and he was the number nine third baseman in points and number six in Roto. And that was with 49 home runs. So he's more or less an all or nothing kind of hitter. Uh, where, you know, you well, look at this. There's, there's a lot of, they were pretty bunched together. I feel like at the position, like he technically may have come out nine, but it was very little swinging, uh, swinging that him, him there as opposed to like fifth at the position, you know? Um, I not, not quite I'll about 25 points. Yeah. Well, if you do per game, maybe let me check that. Let me check okay. that. Cause I feel like I, I feel like we discussed this when we talked about Donaldson being seventh, and it was like, man. Oh, he's only three points behind Donaldson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. but, well, but that's the difference between seventh and ninth right there. Yeah, but there's a big diff- There's actually a pretty big gap between five and seven. Okay, fair enough. That, which would be Eduardo Escobar and DJ LeMahieu. And these are points, not Roto. So, um, sorry. Anyway, I think you look at that tier, Scott, of the near elites, and I'll read the list again since I'm sure all of you can't remember it. Chris Bryant, Eugenio Suarez, DJ LeMahieu, Max Muncy, Manny Machado, Jeff McNeil, Vladimir Guerrero. Who has the most upside there? I think in Roto, I think it's Vlad. What do you think? Oh, it's it's definitely Vlad. I mean, Vlad could be a first rounder at this time next year and make me look dumb for including him in my bust list like I'm probably going to do. But I think it's the right process, even though I'm acknowledging, yes, he has that kind of upside. Yes, it could make me look bad. But if you miss out on him and draft one of these other guys instead, that's not going to be the reason you lose. Drafting Vladimir Guerrero in round four or whatever could be the reason you lose. Mm-hmm. So don't give yourself a reason to lose. And let me bring up another point about a deep position. I don't know if I've ever thought this before. I don't know if I believe it, but here we go. Top of my top of mind right now. Because there are so many great players, if you take Vladimir Guerrero, you're probably or anyone, anyone, right? You're not gonna draft a third baseman for a while. If you take a third baseman early, you're not gonna take one for a while, most likely. You're gonna fill other positions. All the other ones are gonna get scooped up. If you draft a bust at that position, you're gonna be in a huge disadvantage, at a huge disadvantage to the rest of your league. Since it's such such a strong position. Now maybe you can just go to the waiver wire and get another guy. But Well, there so many are going to be drafted. Exactly. Yeah, like that's saying. true. And you might I, take even, two. But you also even might miss out on so many. head-to-head points league or head-to-head categories even. You know, the smaller lineups without the extra lineup spots, the corner infield spot, whatever. Um, there's still probably going to be upward of 20 third base eligible players drafted. So naturally what's left at that position is going to be bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Now, it might be easy to work out a trade with somebody who drafted one of those redundancies, but... Like leagues are very different in terms of how active the trade market is, and people are very different in terms of how like how willing they are to give up excess, you know. So I just don't like depending on having to make a trade to uh, get out of the hole like that. Yeah, I would say that some positions are deep on draft day, but not deep during the year because they get drafted and they're used as utility or bench spots they're not deep on waivers even though they're deep on draft day all right but i wouldn't mind scott living in the next best things tier of moncada matt chapman josh donaldson miguel sano mike mustakas and eduardo escobar i like donaldson the most i think in that group you have moncada chapman donaldson sano mustakas and escobar in the next best things a lot of pop in this group here and you know, in a one-third baseman league, I don't know that you need one of these guys to be your starter, but in any league that has some depth, or, or again, we could be talking utility here, I think it's a pretty solid, I think it's a really good tier. Um, so we're almost 20 deep here. Uh, it is, and it was a tier that, you know, it it it's not always super straightforward putting together these tiers. Sometimes it's easy. They really jump out at you. Okay, this is clearly a tier. This is clearly the next tier. But these last two tiers here, finding the right dividing line between them, there needed to be one because if you, you know, you look at Chris Bryant versus the last guy in this next tier, um, who is it, Eduardo Escobar Mm -hmm. or Mike Moustakis, I mean, they clearly belong in different tiers, the highest guy versus the lowest guy. But where in the middle does that drop off happen? 
And I don't think that's crystal clear. I could have easily included Yohan Mokata and Matt Chapman, I feel like, in the in the next tier up. If I was more upside-minded, I could probably include Miguel Sano in the next tier up. Um, Donaldson, obviously, the same way. I see a lot of downside in both Donaldson and Sano, so that's why I ultimately chose them to tier them lower. I think there's a lot more that could go wrong there. But upside-wise, I mean... Donaldson, we were just saying, was even better than Eugenio Suarez last year. And Miguel Sano seems like one of the most likely people to hit 50 home runs this upcoming season. So uh, there's, I would be fine with them starting for me at third base, but it definitely feels riskier than the tier above them. All right, Scott. You can check out the rest of the tiers, everybody, at cbsports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. It's good stuff. Let's finish up with your prospects. Give me a few prospects that should be drafted in a 12-team league. In a 12-team league, obviously, Luis Robert. Pretty clear he's going to be on the opening day roster after signing a long-term deal. Was a 30-30 guy in the minors last year. A good uh Potential uh, steal source in the middle rounds of a roto draft, kind of probably like the round nine, maybe even round eight range. Um, I say potential steal source because we really don't know how often a player is going to run until he's up and running. It's a matter of intent, and that's what makes it such a frustrating stat to deal with. So he's he's obvious there. Luis, I'm, I'm sorry, Jesus Luzardo needs to be drafted everywhere. He's going to be a spark for you points leaguers out there. I wonder about the innings coming off an injury plague, coming off an injury plagued year, and obviously this is his first full big league season as a starter. But I don't worry about the effectiveness. I think it's going to be Chris Paddock, part two, and he's just going to be great. He might even be my AL rookie of the year choice over Robert. Um, Joe Adele is probably going to be drafted. Angels outfielder in five outfielder leagues. He has similar upside to Lewis. Luis Robert hasn't actualized it yet in the minors, only 20 years old, but I, most people seem to think he's going to be up sooner than later. Mackenzie Gore, probably going to get drafted in 12-team leagues. P- Padres pitcher, the consensus best pitching prospect right now. Uh, oh, my God, his numbers. But it could be a arrival for him, kind of a longer-term <laughs> stash. Uh, so he has crazy numbers, right? Because I remember looking yeah. at Chris Paddock's numbers last year and be like, what? What? They, it's just remarkable. And Yeah, uh, Mackenzie Gore, most of this was at California League, which is one of the most hitter-friendly leagues in the minors. 169 ERA, .83 whip, 135 strikeouts in 101 innings. Mackenzie Gore is uh, going to be a big deal. How soon? Don't know exactly, but possibly as soon as the middle of this year. Um... Carter Kiboom, it sounds like he's the front runner for the Nationals' third base job. We saw him a little bit in the majors last year, and it was it went horribly. He was rushed because of a Trey Turner injury, but he is a really looks like a safe bat, good plate discipline, um, good bat skills, enough power to thrive in this environment. Um, man, I could keep going. Alec Baum, I feel like he's going to take over as the Phillies' third baseman eventually this year and uh he has great place discipline you know should hit for average and power he looks like a legit prospect um forrest whitley i think is going to get his chance in the astros rotation eventually this year after they lost three members from last year's rotation right they lost uh, wade miley, Cole and miley Cole. maybe just two yeah uh, but it'll it'll happen for it was terrible in the minors last year, but he was the consensus top pitching prospect in baseball at this time a year ago and was dealing with some shoulder issues, some mechanical issues, seemed to get right in the Arizona Fall League, still has great stuff. That's Forrest Whitley. Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals, breakthrough switch hitter with power and speed, made it to AAA last year. They're kind of lacking in star power in that lineup, so I think they'll... They'll be using him. Uh, they'll be they'll be turning to him sooner than later. Uh, I think pretty much all of these guys, like in a standard roto league with the extra hitter spots, maybe not Bomb, maybe not Alec Bomb, but the rest you pretty much see drafted. Uh, let me 
let me go yeah, further down in my top 100 here. Okay. To like lower, lower probability prospects, but with clearer roles. Uh, Austin Hayes, remember him? Yeah. From a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a shoe-in for the Orioles for a starting job in the Orioles outfield this year. And had it rough in the minors the past couple years, some injuries, some struggles playing through injuries, but he was awesome last spring and he was awesome last September. It's like he steps it up against major league pitching and it's a really interesting bat. I think he doesn't walk much, but he looks like a guy who can really hit unless you look too closely at the numbers. I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of an <laughs> Austin Hayes optimist because when, we, when we've seen him at his best, it's been really impressive. Uh, also, uh, for the Rockies, a guy I just drafted in late in today's mock was Sam Hilliard, who we saw a little bit last year. Strikes out too much, but Coors Field obviously can help make up for that. Tons of power. We saw him hit 70 home runs, I think at about 70 at-bats last year. And I think between the majors and the minors, he had something like 42 home runs. Also can steal bases. Uh, You know, I don't know how much he's going to play. He's a left-handed hitter, and they have some extra pieces in their outfield there, especially if if, uh, Garrett Hampson is playing a lot of outfield. But Sam Hilliard should be on the roster and should play at least semi-regularly power speed source at Coors Field. I think you got to be excited about that. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of names. I could keep going. That's okay. It's okay. It's a lot of names. We we always get prospect questions. I'll read some on our Friday mailbag. And you just, you try to come up with rules for prospects, you know, like, well, this is what happened last year. So this is how we should treat them this year. And it's so unpredictable what's going to happen when these guys come up. But remember, Pete Alonso, Fernando Tatis, Chris Paddock made huge impacts right from day one. Right from day one. And they were all great draft values. Meanwhile, Keston Hero was horrible when he came up. Garrett Hampson stunk. Vlad, like, Keston look at Hero the, was horrible when he first, when he first came, came, up, came up. But then he came up later. Right, and who was going to buy into him then, you know? like Who's <laughs> exactly. going to pick him up at that point? Um, yeah. the, just look at the Blue Jays. I mean, Biggio and Vlad disappointed, but uh, but uh, Bichette was really good. So it's yep. you just never know, but it's fun to take a shot on them because sometimes they can have a really big impact. So we'll talk about it uh, throughout the next couple months. We're, we're like 63 days away from the from opening day, which feels like a lot. 62 or something like that. I saw it on our league homepage. See, does that feel like a lot? Because I does. feel like we're just getting into the swing of draft prep here. And, and 63 oh, days, 14 hours. Two months. That's it. It's March 26th is opening day. That's the earliest opening day ever, I believe. Really? Yeah. I like that. So they're, Are they going to take started early? Oh, the whole season starting early? Or they're like doing a few games in like you know, Mars, and then they're going to come back to Earth and play the rest of the series or something? Mars. I thought you misspoke trying to say March there for a second. No, no. they're not going to Mars. They're not going to Australia. (laughs) Okay. I think think it's a situation where everybody opens on the 26th. All right, let's do it, man. Let's do it. I actually, as a fantasy analyst, I loved the new schedule, which was more spread out, because just having... I, this is going to sound bad. Like, I don't like the job. That's not the case. But just having one or two fewer games on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night or something like that to go over and to get ready for the next show, it really lightened the workload a, a lot. It made it a lot more manageable. I don't know if you felt that way, Scott, but I loved it. Uh, Let's see. I mean, I get what you're saying. I I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Because I'm just I, verifying yeah. what I was saying about the 26th oh, okay. that everybody's playing that day. And I can't tell. Go to the MLB it, scoreboard. Oh, it's probably, it's it looks like training, the White but... Sox and Royals are playing a game at Surprise Stadium in Surprise, Arizona. So clearly their season isn't opening yet. <laughs> maybe maybe but... they're just playing a game at a stadium to be determined. Surprise! And it's a real game. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to go. I'm getting loopy. Thanks for listening. Uh, Back tomorrow with a mailbag. See ya.
Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework.